Hi, I'm Sarah, and this is the podcast version of my newsletter called Sarah by the Season, where I explore what is piquing my curiosity as I try to lean into nature's wisdom and rhythms. Subscribe and learn more at sarahbytheseason.com. Excuse my voice that sounds like I took up smoking. I am recovering from a cold this week. The title of this week's newsletter is The Year of Heart. Going deeper. I haven't typically been a word of the year person, but toward the end of last year, I kept feeling this need for depth in 2024. It feels like a potentially heavy year from the start with the U.S. election season and the state of the world more generally. And as 2023 winded down, I found myself yearning to go deeper instead of my tendency, which is to be interested in all of the things, but in a relatively shallow way. Hashtag Enneagram 7 problems. Several years ago, I read this article from the always worth reading David at Raptitude about what he called the depth year. He describes it tantalizingly, if you ask me, like this. Quote, I keep imagining a tradition I'd like to invent. After you're established in your career and you have some neat stuff in your house, you take a whole year in which you don't start anything new or acquire any new possessions you don't need. No new hobbies, equipment, games, or books are allowed during this year. Instead, you have to find the value in what you already own or what you've already started. You improve skills rather than learning new ones. You consume media you've already stockpiled instead of acquiring more. You read your unread books or even reread your favorites. You pick up the guitar again and get better at it instead of taking up the harmonica. You finish the Gordon Ramsay masterclass you started in April despite your fascination with the new Annie Leibovitz one, even though it's on sale. The guiding philosophy is go deeper, not wider. Drill down for value and enrichment instead of fanning out. You turn to the wealth of options already in your house, literally and figuratively. We could call it a depth year, or a year of deepening, or something. End quote. Since reading that, I've wanted to really go all in on a depth year, but I tend to peter out around March if I even make it that long. One of my ways of living in tune with the seasons is to change up my mindfulness practices based on the season we're in. This is how I teach yin yoga, too. I try to pick a practice each season to dig into, based on what's going on in nature. By going deeper with a particular practice for an entire season, I have kept myself from jumping quickly from one thing to the next when boredom or discomfort sets in, and I found value in practices that I might otherwise have skipped. For example, in the winter, I tend to double down on yoga nidra because winter is a time for rest and topping off our buckets before the energy of spring arrives. At first, I found yoga nidra very uncomfortable and seemingly pointless, but because I stuck with it some winter many years ago now, it's become one of my most beloved practices. Toward the end of 2023, I kept noticing heart come up, either the word itself or practices around the heart or something similar. So instead of trying to go full on depth year on everything, I've decided to lean into my intuition's inkling and make 2024 the year of heart. In many Eastern traditions, the mind isn't just in our brains, which is what most of us in the West think of when we hear the word mind. Instead, in many Eastern traditions, there is the idea of the heart mind. In Chinese philosophy, the word for heart, sin, refers to both the physical heart and the cognition that we Westerners typically associate with the brain. Sin is typically translated as heart-mind instead of just heart in order to convey this cultural difference in understanding. Buddhism has the idea of sitta, which meditation teacher Jack Kornfield tells us is also translated properly as heart-mind and has, quote, many dimensions. It contains and includes all our thoughts, our feelings and emotions, responses, intuition, temperament, and consciousness itself, end quote. Prior to the Enlightenment, it is likely that most Europeans did not have the rational distinction between the mind and the heart that most of us do today. 
The Greek word typically translated as heart is cardia. It is used nearly a thousand times in the Old and New Testaments, and its definition sounds much closer to the Eastern idea of heart-mind. The definitions include that organ in the animal body, which is the center of the circulation of the blood, and hence was regarded as the seat of physical life, denotes the center of all physical and spiritual life, the center and seat of spiritual life. I love how author Liz Jensen puts it, quote, were heart-mind a word in the English lexicon, it would be designated as a noun, but in its origin, it's both noun and verb. And the Chinese, who make no distinction between what you are and what you do, would never understand the separation of the two. What you are is what you do. What you do is what you are. Heart-mind is simultaneously both being and doing, an inherent coupling that arises on its own volition and does so everywhere and at all times, end quote. All of that to say, I'm not so much interested in going deeper in practice and understanding with the Western idea of heart, which is mostly just an organ that pumps blood. But I am very curious about recovering this older idea of the heart as a seat of our intuition, our connection with source, and a deeper well of wisdom beyond the rational. So here's what I'm thinking so far, in case you want to come along for the ride or even just tip your toes in a bit to this year of heart. Meta meditation is an especially heart-oriented meditation practice. Meta, typically translated as loving-kindness, is one of the oldest Buddhist meditation practices. It involves wishing ourselves and others well-being. I love this further description if you're interested in learning more. You'll have to check out the newsletter for the links. Meta, specifically, more than many other meditation practices, has a ton of rigorous research behind it, in addition to the millennia of experiential data, of course. That includes physical and mental healing benefits, increases in our capacity for empathy and social connection, it promotes physical resilience, and plenty more. For me personally, I have noticed my greatest growth and self-compassion during seasons of meta practice. In my seated practice this year, my intention is to practice meta at least three times a week, if not more. I recorded a meta meditation if you want to try it for yourself. One thing I like about going deeper with meta meditation is that the phrases you use in the practice can become like mantras themselves that pop up usefully throughout the day. HeartMath is an organization I first learned about several years ago whose vision is to develop a system of effective scientifically-based tools and technologies to bridge the intuitive connection between heart and mind and deepen our connection with the heart of others. They have done extensive research into the benefits of connecting our hearts and minds, and they offer many tools for doing so. My go-to is a simple practice HeartMath calls quick coherence, and here are the steps. I try to use this before difficult conversations and notice that when I do, I'm better able sometimes, to find that pause before reacting with defensiveness or anger. This seems especially important for me in 2024, but I'm curious about the effects of incorporating this practice into my day in some way as a way of building heart coherence and intuitive knowing, as well as a sort of preventative medicine to get less hooked by outside stimulus. Heart-focused reading, watching, and listening. I have some books on my to-be-read shelf that I plan to dig into, and I plan to look out for other titles that have something to do with heart in the year ahead, including plenty of romance novels, which make me feel warm and fuzzy and have a guaranteed happy ending. I'm thinking I could also use the idea of heart, mind, and intuition as a guide for my watching and listening intake this year, too. Warning pages of some sort. One thing I fell out of practice with in 2023 was my journaling practice, and I felt it. During COVID, when I was working from home 100% of the time, I had a decent morning pages practice, which is a practice of writing three pages first thing in the morning, stream of consciousness style, usually credited to Julia Cameron and better described here. When I have a regular journaling practice, I noticed that I'm better in touch with that still small voice inside. 
some call it intuition or God or the divine or your soul speaking. I don't really think it matters what you call it so long as you develop some capacity to listen to it. Most human civilizations have associated this inner voice or inner knowing with the heart. Capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, and fundamentalisms of any sort desperately need us detached from developing this inner knowing so that they can, one, tell us what to think and what we want and need, and two, by doing so, control us. This means that strengthening your intuition is vitally important and countercultural work. And I found the best two ways to build my capacity to recognize that still small voice are journaling, preferably first thing in the morning before I've had a chance to really wake up, and walking long distances without distractions. The best way that I know how to deal with a problem or frustration in my life is to go on a long walk without my phone. I find that I'm able to, most importantly, settle down. There is something about moving that grounds me in ways that other things can't. Once I'm a bit more settled, I can listen. Those of us who are parents, I think, can see how our kids have this intuitive sense and awareness. But for many of us adults growing up in this system, especially women, we've lost much of our innate ability to even hear this soul voice in the first place, let alone trust it enough to follow what it says. A big part of adulting, then, is recovering this atrophied muscle and building it back up again. Michael Mead, in his classic The Genius Myth, calls this inner knowing our divine spark. And he says that only by listening to the voice of the divine spark can we become fully who we were meant to be. Quote, the human soul is a living paradox, neither a predetermined personality nor a completely open possibility. The point in this life is not simply to become somebody, but to become who we were each intended to be when we first entered this world. For each of us has the most to give and contributes most meaningfully when we become who we were intended to be from the beginning. That is the inside story and the hidden message that has been etched upon each soul. End quote. For me, moving outside without electronic distractions is the best way to recognize the voice of my own divine spark, and hopefully, after time, rebuild my trust in following what it says, which seems like the highest work of not only my heart, but of being human. I'll report back on my depth year of the heart, and I'd love to hear if you try any of these practices or ideas too. Be sure to check out the actual newsletter for plenty of links this week which you can find at sarahbytheseason.substack.com. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you know of someone else who might like this sort of thing, I would love it if you would share it with them. You don't know how big of a difference it makes to writers and creators when you share artwork. Learn more at sarahbytheseason.substack.com. And here's to going deeper in 2024.